everybody. Welcome. How we doing? All right. <laughs> well, I'm glad that because we changed room, we don't change in RUF. That's good to hear. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, welcome to RUF's large group. I'm Sid Drew, and I'm the campus minister uh, of RUF Reform University Fellowship at Davidson College. Um, also, just to point out, uh, Rachel and Ruben are our two interns. Um, any one of us would love uh, to get together with you and get to know you a little bit better. Um, RUF is a Christian campus ministry uh, that exists to serve the campus, but also you all, wherever and whoever you are. Um, and I just really want to make sure that you understand kind of our burden is to really serve the whole campus. And um, so really, RF isn't for one kind of person. It's for any kind of person from any scene on campus, from any personal background, um, even just people who are not sure exactly where they stand with Jesus and Christianity and that whole thing. Um, so you could be convinced or unconvinced. You could be a believer or an unbeliever. And we're glad you're here, and we hope you feel welcomed by us. And also, especially if you've never come to RUF before, thanks so much for taking the time to do that. We really appreciate it. Um, usually, about this time, I would make an awkward transition done. And I would uh, go ahead and talk about the life of Simon Peter. We've been working through that this, this semester. Um, I'm calling it Stumbling into a Run. And then I would make some overly long introduction to who Simon Peter is. And uh, we would start the passage. But um, I get to welcome Pastor Howard Brown uh, tonight. I'm really, really thankful he's here. Um, Howard's from Charleston, South Carolina. He went to Clemson University. Uh, he's not wearing orange, which is pretty surprising. Most people, almost all the time, who are from Clemson wear orange uh, nonstop. Oh, wow. OK, OK, OK. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, so actually, Howard's relatively familiar with RUF. Um, he went to RUF an undergrad, so he knows all of this awkwardness and all of this RUF-ness. He's well familiar and well acquainted, um, maybe too familiar. Um, also, Howard went to grad school and he met his wife, Kelly, and um, he became a pastor at a church, uh, a couple churches, but now he's at Christ Central in Charlotte. Um, I'll let him tell a little bit more about what that church is, um, where it's located, um, what their mission and vision is, but I just want to say it's a really great church. Um, there's been a lot of people from Davidson that have come over the years to that church and really appreciated that church. And I'm really glad to be able to welcome him to come and speak to you guys. Um, and really, at the end of the day, Howard is just a friend of mine who's doing me a big favor. <laughs> He's doing two good deeds. I'm white and tired. I was at ball conference all weekend. Uh, preparing another sermon would have been uh, death by paper cut. So I decided not to do that. And um, also, he's doing us a favor by telling us about uh, what the Bible has to say to what's going on in current events. Um, there's eternal truths have, um, they can be placed in situations and in lives um, in a way that's really important. And what's going on in Charlotte right now, um, both what happened a week ago and also what's happened in the week since, uh, Howard's been a really important voice there, and he's going to talk to us a little bit from the scripture about that. So he's gonna look, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 7 together, um, and then... Afterwards, we're going to sing a song, and I'll do a prayer called a benediction, and we'll leave. If you want to leave, you can take a snack to go. Um, but I'd encourage you to stay, because Howard's graciously offered to do question and answer to, um, a kind of just about what the gospel looks like um, in light of some of what's going on in Charlotte, but what's actually kind of been going on all over the country for a while now. So and, and just in terms of the death of Keith Lamont Scott and the protests and policing and justice and um, lots of other things. So um, 
Would you come up, Howard? Can you give a round of applause? Thank you, Howard, for coming. Thanks, Sid, for having me come. As he said, I was involved in RUF at Clemson a um, long time ago, and uh, I um, actually still serve on the RUF uh, permanent committee. And My I've boss. been, yeah, <laughs> we talked about you at the last meeting. Um, Y'all might have a new campus minister next year. Um, we'll see how tonight goes. Um, no, uh, but yeah, I've been on that committee for about 10 years now. So I've seen a lot of growth in the campus, a lot of different things going on. And um, so Christ Central um, was planted 12 years ago, 13 years ago, that is, um, by me and Pastor George Hyatt, a Davidson graduate. And um, yeah, that's good. Um, <laughs> sorry, I don't mean to be so mean. I, I wasn't. Good, Davidson. Okay. Um, do y'all know I was in Walnut Creek last week, California? You know who lives there? Steph Curry. Yeah. I didn't run into him, though. Um, just thought you want to know that I was in Oakland area. So um, so I got all kind of connections. But uh, one of the main things we wanted to emphasize at Christ Central was the centrality of Christ. And in that, his ability and his call to draw people from a diverse background socioeconomically and ethnically. And we've seen a lot of that happen over the years. It's been difficult work, um, complicated work. And I will tell you, a lot of what happened um, was successful because of students who would drive 30 minutes from Davidson all the way to Christ Central on Sunday mornings. And I guess over the years, anywhere from 15 to 20, Kelly, would you say 15 to 20, maybe, maybe more students came down there and they were part of helping shape and form Christ Central. And a lot of those guys who graduated and went to other cities and went to grad schools in other cities, um, you know, I get phone calls all the time, Pastor Brown, we're, we're a part of planting this church. We want to take some of what we learned at Christ Central and be a part of it. You know, uh, Pastor Brown, I'm doing this, this paper, this work. We want to talk, I want to talk to you about what Christ Central's done. So it's, it's, uh, have a real heart for Davidson, and um, i just just glad to be here. Um, I just want to introduce my wife. She's here with me tonight, Kelly Brown. She also was with us at the beginning of the church. Um, yeah, we've been married 19 years. We have two boys, Harrison and Clark, are 14 and 12. And um, also with me today is uh, Trayvon. Uh, and Trayvon is an intern at Christ Central Church and a student at RTS getting his Master of Divinity. So I'm glad to have them here with us today. Um, and let me do this for you guys. Um, I know what kind of place this is. And Sid reminded me, lots of pressure, right? Grades. Some of y'all are thinking about, I hope this is over soon enough because I'm going to be up late studying. I studied for you. You can relax and hear the word of God. This is not a test. At the end of this, this is not a test of how ethnically diverse you can be. This is not a moral lesson. This is the story of God's redemption of the world. This is an end picture of that. And I want you guys to just relax. God wants to speak to you. And there is no pressure in that. 
you guys are way, way too young to remember the corny song from the 80s, 1982 to be exact. That is by Stevie Wonder. Y'all know Stevie Wonder? Black and Paul McCartney, white. And Pastor G and I would always cynically sing this song when we started Christ Central when describing our work together. I don't know if you guys know this song. Kelly's like, they're not going to know this song. Ebony and Ivory live together in perfect harmony. Side by side on my piano, keyboard, oh Lord, why don't we? We all know that people are the same wherever we go. There is good and bad in everyone. We learn to live, we learn to give each other what we need to survive. Together alive. Ebony and ivory. I can still remember. <laughs> live together in perfect harmony. Side by side on my piano keyboard. Oh, Lord. Why don't we? Shut up. The charts. Like number one for a long time until Michael Jackson releases his album Thriller. <laughs> and we hear those songs, we laugh, I laugh. You know why? Because it's so corny. And we use it as fuel for our nostalgic cynicism, right? Because for the world, it's silly to believe it could happen. And then put some hopefully minded song out about it, complete with this blind black man and never had a black member near him, Beatles former member, right? It's so 80s optimistic montage. It's like that Coke commercial I know y'all really don't remember from the 70s. With all of these different people on a hillside. Singing and you know they they, would, they formed this giant line and it was all supposed to be circling the world, right? And they were together in all these different colors and races of people. And the song goes this way: I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'd like to buy the world a Coke and keep it company. It's the real thing. Coke is what the world wants today. <laughs> I thank God for the bitter, discouraged, depressed 90s. <laughs> Crushing all of that silly. Thank you, Kurt Cobain. Thank you, NWA. <laughs> Well, guys, God has given us here in our reading, we see in Revelation, a vision of what must and what can and what will happen. And in this passage, it's not just ebony and ivory, but chocolate and caramel and lemon and butter, pecan, peach and strawberry, right? But these are not actors or entertainers. This is about real people not saying their part. But having doing having done their part and giving praise to God, their maker with and in a real perfect harmony. And with our country and city wrestling with issues of race and ethnic diversity and classism with deadly and historical consequences, I, I think it's very important that we let this vision of eclectic community we see here in Revelation 7 call us to a gospel mission of radical racial and ethnic diversity and reconciliation and even harmony. It is a call that requires, number one, 
that we seek to know the people of our world. Secondly, that we work to bring justice in the world and that we call the world to worship. Let me tell you that this final heavenly picture of harmony, of eclectic community and communion, of of people of every tribe and tongue and, and people and nation harmonize in part because they hit the same chord of being known. They declare an, in, an incarnational divine diplomacy of Jesus, the God-man, right? Having become flesh and dwell, uh, dwelling among us, um, this future promised picture means this, that Jesus came to know the world. That Jesus was not ignorant to their struggles, to, to all that it represented. Jesus gave himself to, to, to this representative world of people. They are covered in his blood-washed robes, the scripture says, which tells us that all of who they are has been known and dealt with by the living Lord, who in his very body felt and feels and knows all they have been through. So much so that God the Father is able to wipe every tear from their eyes. That's every tear of every person. With each tear representing every injustice or every sin against or by all that they are as a people and a tribe and a tongue and a nation. There is this hyper multiplicity of of, of knowing who people are. One of the greatest Adversities and discords to a perfect racial harmony is ignorance. Man, I've been in a lot of these discussions. And it always hits a dead end, right? With with a man, you don't know me, right? You you don't see me, you don't treat me like you you treat me like you don't care. My tears and struggle mean nothing to you. You don't feel me. Remember the movie, man, I got to update this stuff. Y'all don't know none of this. I need to talk to my sons. Sometimes they'll say, Daddy, they don't know what you're talking about. In the movie Boys in the Hood, the character Doughboy, played by West Coast NWA Spawn rapper turned actor Ice Cube, drops this memorable quote at the end. This is after everyone's died. It's just terrible. He says this. Either, and he talks about, in the context of this, you know, you look at the news and they talk about the violence overseas and they talk about these people, but they don't talk about what's going on here. And he says this, either, this is South Central LA, either they don't know, they don't show, or don't care about what's going on in the hood. And the point is this, ignorance has led to discord among people in this country in this city. Been 11 years since Hurricane Katrina hit the bayou, New Orleans. I recently got a chance to visit it and they are still reeling from it. And I remember like it was yesterday and Beyonce has brought it back up in her video for her hit song Formation. But how that hurricane exposed the unseen, the unknown or ignored racial and economic and class disparity in our country. What does the gospel do? What is Jesus doing? He's calling his people who are his body to know. 
to find out, to learn, to become familiar with the diverse world, to see others, to hear the stories, to feel them. But I want to be careful because to leave it at that for many of us would just lead us to the dead end of generalization, stereotyping, of making our relations nothing more than an Epcot Center visit with friends that in the end will make the world smaller after all so that we can manage and control it. Sometimes our relationships, for some of you who've gone to short-term missions to Africa, or some inner city project for a few days. You come back from some sort of National Geographic, short-term missions biopic, uh, bioptic that fools us they were, that we are expert at experiential anthropologists and sociologists of the black experience in America. And we, especially those not of the dominant culture as we know it, Know what it feels like to be treated like you're a doughboy by someone who simply watched the movie, right? Like we all grew up in a hood. This knowledge here in Revelation is not, uh, not of, of just a nation of people, but working toward the kind of knowing Jesus engaged in, recognizing every tribe of, of nation of those people. And it requires more than just an outside knowledge that breeds stereotypes. It requires an entering into the lives and world of people, dare I say it, into real relationship. The Bible says here in verse 15, that Jesus will shelter them with his presence. Another translation I like better says he will extend his tent over them. A tent, a shelter, is a family distinction. God has invited these people to his tailgate, right? But more than that, he's invited them into his household. To not only have him as their father, but each other as their bro as brothers and sisters. God has called us to enter into a relationship, real relationship, with the people of this world like his own son did. Knowing and touching and being touched by the world of people. And it changes how we live and believe. Recently, I recently read an article in the New York Times about... Christian, the, 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 the state of Christianity in the Middle East. And the article was saying, maybe this is the end of Christianity in the Middle East because of the rise of ISIS. As I was listening, watching, I mean, as I was reading the article, you know, I come from a, Sid and I are in a pretty conservative denomination. So everybody is pro-Israel. Everybody, I mean, so many people are anti anything that looks Middle East or Middle Eastern. And it just amazes me that when I read this article, those were my brothers and sisters over there. But what really brought it home to me is when I got a chance to hang out with uh, Drew Henderson and his wife, Nabal, who's from Palestine. And the stories she shared about the persecution she felt as a Palestinian Christian by Jews was amazing. 
and yet we blindly follow a, a political party in, in, in line instead of looking at the eschatology that God has given us? That our brothers and sisters supersede some sort of political agenda. And let me say this, a bad reading, a bad theology of eschatology, right? When we look at this as every tribe and tongue and nation of people. Man, I got everybody from Davidson in this. This was this was written so long ago and I got all these Davidson people in here. Bill and Charlie Marcord, who are members of our church. Bill graduated from Davidson. Doggone it. Too many Davidson. Y'all taking over the world. <laughs> Bill was, was in the four, first group of elders that we have. And Bill and Charlie have two Latino children they adopted. And she wrote me a long, impassioned letter about the demoralizing and inhumane way that, that, that so many in Charlotte are approaching immigration. and enforcement of those laws. She said this, my son and daughter will grow up in a world where they are discriminated against. Bill and Charlie Marquardt look like South Charlotte all the way. They politically shouldn't be on that side of the argument. But how can how is it that their faith, that their hearts are torn in a different way because they've been transformed by a relationship in which now they have a son and daughter. And now guess what? Now that our Wesley and Anna Bryan are in our congregation, now I have a son and daughter who are Hispanic. Now I think like that. Now I look on TV and I hear about all these flippant ways people talk about undocumented people and all these things and immigration, how hard they are on it. And I can't help but think about the discrimination that may be suffered by my now niece and nephew, if you will. We must come to a place and to go places where we could look into eyes and touch skin and be moved and changed by people who personally give us their stories as friends and neighbors that God calls us to treat with a familial respect and love. Maybe it's being part of a church like Christ Central. That ain't for everybody. Or maybe it's breaking out of your social groups or even schools that aren't so homogenous. And here's the deal. This is going to be hard, especially being at Davidson. Expect to feel ignorant. You will not pass this test. I don't care how informed you are. I don't care how well you kind of get it. Relationships just don't work like that. Because we are surprised to some of us who think we know everything or have seen every angle, who have come with some sort of idea of, of race. You don't, right? You, you can't expect not to get it the first, second, third, fourth, fifth time around. Why should you? People are complicated, and racism and classism is one of the most deadly and determined parasites in our world. 
Go ahead and expect to learn something new every year, every 10 years, every every time something new happens in this country. Okay, so some people assume, and I understand why, if you're African-American or some or another ethnic group in this country, you, you tend to have to be a little bicultural to make it and talk to people and get along and be in institutions. And so there's this uh, tendency to believe, like, we get it. I mess up all the time. As the pastor of a multi-ethnic church, I mess up all the time. First of all, because I like to talk. <laughs> Had a professor say, Howard, much talk, much sin, right? <laughs> Secondly, I think I know a lot. I've been doing this a long time. I can't mess up. I understand everybody. No, I don't. And like, like I said, and unlike an institution like David, Davidson and other colleges that almost forces you to make conclusions and presuppositions, the kinds of relationships I am talking about may bring the beauty of confusion. And starting over. And having your paradigms destroyed and into the mystery of human diversity. Dare I say it? Maybe in that we will grow in our theology as human beings, right? Bearing it because when we think about human beings who bear his image, we'll begin to really believe maybe God is complex and completely multifaceted and beyond our understanding. Maybe we will actually be humbled before God. We need to come, like Jesus is saying, and just listen. Just take it on you. Let it confound you and weigh you down. I hate these things. Where they have these conferences, y'all, I can't stand it. Break up the small circles and talk. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be known. and You know what? I don't want somebody to get me wrong. That's irritating. Because then I have to tell them. Oh, man, I hate that. Where are you from? You know, oh, man, come on. What's up, man? What, what? Ah. <laughs> Lord, I don't want all that. But it's the call that Christ has given us. Face it, you will say something stupid. But the mission and hope is that in the correction or rebuke, there is greater knowledge and deeper appreciation and friendship. It is a mission like it did Jesus makes you have to go and live in another world between yours and theirs and have you love and long for justice for them. Jesus here brings these people into harmony before God in heaven because he has taken away their guilt and provided justice and righteousness for them. Remember, the whole them, their people group, their tribe, their tongue, their nation, all of that has now been reconciled rightly and justly before God and in them. We have this ironic but powerful image here in verse 14. It says this. I said to him, Sir, you know, he asked, who are these people in the white robes? And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. The image is ironic, right? Because two things that don't go well together is white clothing and bloodstains. Yet the text says that these are they 
which are there together in unified wonder, marked, if you will, as unified because they are all wearing the same thing. Not just white robes, but robes washed in the blood of Jesus. This is what the blood-washed robes means and tells us. They have been justified. Given justice, rightness before God and themselves and others, they've been rescued from a world of sin and injustices because of Jesus. And the bloody image is more than what may appear as a passive crucifixion, right? Hanging and dying for their sins committed by them or against them. But also, this is what it means. It represents the tenacity and struggle of a bloody fight to have human beings, save human beings from the bondage of racism and classism. This is saying Jesus fought for justice. And he bled for it. During the protests, as I watched on TV this week, Realize how godlike protests for justice can be. The cross. Jesus is mauling by the hands of sinful and broken society. It was because in Jesus, God came to make the ultimate protest for human life and dignity. And he got beat and bloodied for standing for you and me in ways we couldn't or wouldn't for ourselves. But also look at verse 15. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. The shelter or tents mean freedom from slavery or classism. The tent means no longer working for a cruel master, to no longer working, no longer unjustly being hungry or forgotten or having the resources be misappropriated in the name of capitalism or free market. No longer any people who are unjustly defined and mistreated as the haves and have nots. They all sit in equal dignity under God's glorious shelter. And Jesus fought for and bled out for that kind of liberation. And now bloodshed is the very mark of the mission we have towards diverse unity and the justice and peace necessary to make it happen. Because we are called to fight. To suffer for. To battle, to bleed, to bring justice to a world of people that we have come to see and know and understand their tears and the struggle and injustice behind their tears. And like God on this side of heaven, we seek to wipe those tears with justice and dignity. Contrary to popular belief, believers are not called to be the moral building blocks of a peaceful, growing, middle-class society. Our Jesus was never that. As uncomfortable as that makes me, because I like the suburbs. I grew up in the suburbs. I want to go back. In fact, I'm building a house in Huntersville right now. be moving in a couple months, right down the street from y'all. But even in the suburbs, right? 
We are called and challenged to use our lives, our blood pump bodies, who we are, where we are to combat the injustice of racism and classism. We, we stand up and bleed, which means we lose and give what is important to us, life to us, right? If, if you will, for all done against those that we know are in the family of God's creation. I'm talking about doing stuff that won't make you good for prosperous business. <laughs> that won't make you safe for affluent networking. Or the top choice for the top grad schools, if they really knew what you're about. This is not doesn't make you good to be in a sheltered neighborhood. You know, I thought about it. <laughs> we need to hate, right, that Charlotte among the top 50 cities in America is number 50 in upward mobility. That means if you're poor in Charlotte, you stay poor. And among the most divided socioeconomically and ethically, that kind of stuff should make our blood boil and motivate us. Yes, we are called to be the ones that people say, oh, no, here he or she comes, Mr. and Mrs. Civil Rights. We better take it easy on some of the racial jokes, y'all. They always make that stuff awkward, right? They don't say it. Never say it. But they think it. Like Jesus, we are called to get socially punched in the nose for bringing up the immigration issue again in a merciful gospel light. To bring up issues that are so difficult like gentrification, right? Bring up Katrina again. Bring up uh, China's civil rights issues. Go ahead. Bring up President Obama's race as a possible issue and favorability. Go ahead and let your black friends know that some of your best friends and even spiritual leaders are white and that you trust them. Go ahead. Make your friends uncomfortable about their ignorant and insensitive jokes. You bleed out. But I must tell you, there will be no end to fighting for justice and peace in this world. So our sense of worth and satisfaction must have a solid beginning reason and a final hope. Because this call of social and racial harmony, guys, and justice goes beyond what could be necessary and good, but are but temporary reparations and restoration. For the believer in Jesus, in large part, this fight is about offering the world and you a chance to repent. To admit our prejudice and be forgiven and be changed. This is more than a social movement, but salvation. To be healed. We call for repentance and forgiveness for things people can't repair and repay, but can only be fixed by what Jesus Lord has done. You know, we get discussions about slavery and how historically impactful it's been, how psychologically damaging it's been to a group of people in this country. And what do I always say? The same argument. That wasn't me. Right? And there's this sense in which people don't want to talk about it because the guilt is so heavy. I don't want to feel guilty, so I don't want to talk about that. That wasn't me. That wasn't my problem. I'm not a racist. You know, I'm, I'm, I understand. I love everybody. You know what? We avoid the issue because I have racist issues too. I'm up here preaching on it, and I am still working on it. Sometimes I don't like other people of other races in certain contexts. I struggle with it. 
reason we try to ignore that or run from those kind of discussions because it generates the amount of guilt and mess only Jesus can clean up. We don't want to dig up something we can't put back in the ground. You know what would be the worst thing? Digging up something that shows you how bad you really are, right? Or how bad it really is. But we can dig it up. Justice is only perfect justice when someone pays the price and heals the wound. And it is only something the God man, the redeemer of fallen man can do. Jesus Christ, and with the confidence that he can take the judgment and the injustice, that he alone can bleed and make it right. We have a must motivation to join our Lord to bleed and fight for racial equality and justice. This is authentic Christianity. As much as a quiet time. I had a discussion with one of our assistant pastors today, and we were talking about everything and all the stuff going on. And one thing I saw from the Psalms, um, in Psalm 94, it says that God hears injustice and he sees things. You know, we got the videos out and what happened in Charlotte, and everyone's like looking closely and trying to know it. Did he have a gun? Did he have a book? Did he have this? Did he deserve to be shot because he had a record in the past? That, by the way, that has nothing to do with it, okay? I didn't know that the penalty for having a record or having weed or having a gun was death. I don't know a law school that teaches that anywhere. Okay? So when you start to hear, oh, he had a record or he went to jail, so I'm settled now. Please get over it. It's not settled. You don't die for that. That's not the death penalty. That's not legally the death penalty, right, for that. But anyway. Let me move on. We're called to enter into these situations that are incredibly hard. I was talking to Andrew again today. That's what I was talking about. I was talking to one of our sisters. And I said, do you think when we get to heaven, we don't know that God knows what was done? Will we know he saw it, y'all. He saw somebody really had a gun. He saw if they were unjustly treated. He knows the story. Do we finally get some sort of retribution of what really happened in heaven? Like, and you know what? I think it's here. I think that there's some tears that get wiped, get wiped away. And I think there's a sense in which there'll be a heavenly sigh, right? A heavenly relief that God says, I saw it. I didn't forget it. I didn't mollify it with all these stories of how bad the criminal was, and now Charlotte can go back to the Charlotte we knew, and oh yeah, and we can do all this, and all the rioting and the protests. It meant nothing. It was just a little hiccup in the history of our city. God says, no, when you get to heaven, I'm going to remember that. And there'll be a relief of the soul with tears in the But finally, we're called the world to worship. Look at verse 9. 
After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders, the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Worship is the place and act of perfect harmony. It is our mission to call the people of the world to worship him with all that they are and all God has made them to be, to have to, to not have to be more black or more white or less culturally expressive, but to provide places and ways for all people to worship. This song here in Revelation is a ripoff, right? It's allowed by the Bible because the same producer behind both, right? But the idea is a ripoff from a different John. John the Baptist said it first when he announced Jesus coming, declaring, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this John that wrote Revelation is letting us know, See, look, right, who's singing. The world whose sin has been taken away from the Lamb. Jesus, it worked. We can drop the mic and pick it up again and keep singing, right? It's done. Do you know how and why class discrimination will always be automatic in this world? Simple economics. There's never enough. <laughs> never enough right fits. Never enough room in a neighborhood places for all people. And with that, always too much demand and too many unique demands. And so guess what? We're forced to regulate and put ethnic and economic and class and national parameters, right? And seen and unseen regulations on everything and everyone. Not everyone can really, I, I know, you know, everyone can get into Davidson who applied, right? Not everyone can really. I know they make it affordable. I know about y'all economic and financial school plans. But not everyone will feel it affordable for them to go to Davidson. And the racial and class percentages show that not everyone can even access, right, or academically or socially find or have on their radar a college like Davidson. There's always limitations. If you're not smart enough, you can't stay here, right? Revelation is saying there is no discrimination and the worship of Jesus, Lord and Savior of the people of all the world. And so we should make the call and mission as wide and open, not according to what we can handle, but according to what Jesus can supply, according to the man. The, the man in John is saying we don't have to regulate sins or, or what is culturally right or wrong or more, more moral or better or most deserving or too much or too sinful or too guilty or too poor or too rich or, or too spoiled or too white or too Asian or too black or too immigrated or too not, or not enough room or justice to go around all at the same time. In Jesus, according to our call to worship, we can come to him as Lord and Savior and there will be more than enough. No one has to be left out or lose or not have their sin or national sin or historical debt or shame or guilt of their prejudice put on hold. Because like the best sacrificial lamb ever, Jesus was left out and lost and shamed and abused and treated with sexism and racism and classism on the cross. 
Don't you recognize this? Jesus was treated with the highest degree of hatred and prejudice anyone could ever suffer on the cross as the Lamb of God. For the sins of the world and for a world of sin. And that is the only thing worth bleeding for and suffering for to call people and give people justice in Christ. The craziness of many people in this passage, I always looked at this and I thought, how is this happening? If we were to all sing in our different tribes and tongues and languages at once, it would sound crazy, right? <laughs> Somebody ain't telling the truth here. Because apparently he needed different tongues. They're all singing and, and somehow it comes out with this beautiful song that he comprehends. It's impossible. Have any have you all ever been to the symphony, right? My dad played in the symphony of Charleston. And when you first go there, I used to get there early, you know. And it's madness. <laughs> I was in a youth symphony. I played the violin and I was played trumpet in the band and we we just a family of musicians, okay? <laughs> I'm like, what's going on? It's madness until the conductor comes out. Leopold, Leopold. No, sorry, that's an old. <laughs> you got to be super old Bugs Bunny to get that one. Okay, moving on. It is madness until the conductor comes out and the concert master, the first chair violinist, plays the A note. And the whole symphony different instruments of shapes and tones and ways of playing it and string sizes begin to tune in to that one note and for a time it is beautiful chaos being called by the conductor to match the concert master's pitch God the father the conductor of our worship sent Jesus to live and die to set the pitch as the Lamb of God who takes the sins, the out of redemptive tuned world, and by the instruments of the Holy Spirit at work in his people like you and me, Jesus brings the world of people into worshipful pitch as we know and hear and see him in his gospel message. Today he stands and through the cross plays a note and sets a tone for racial harmony. And I admit, it is sometimes distant and clouded and muddled, but it is true for our world. Jesus comes to bring the sound of and the sound we chase and change towards racial and social harmony. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for y'all. Lord, thank you so much. A lot was said. We thank you that. There's some hope. <laughs> we look at this picture, we know it's going to happen. We know we're headed there. Please take us, Lord. Please tune our lives to the sound of your diverse redemption. This we pray and ask in Jesus' name.
or something. If I can put it towards it. And you guys can stand up. That's kind of common. Come out of every blessing to my